we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 35 months into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much for asking. And you guys? I'm fine. I'm, thank uh, you. healthy and alive here. Excellent. Marty, you're joining us on an odd day this week because, unfortunately, you're not able to be here tomorrow. But that's okay because Bruce and I were looking for uh, a day to do our special on encrypted phones. And so that's going to be tomorrow since you're not here now. We're going to miss you well, I'm glad tomorrow. to be of service. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to miss you tomorrow. But you yeah. graced us with your presence today. And, you know, I have I have a lot on my mind today uh, about, this, um, about this Nord Stream pipeline. And I'm tired of... I'm tired of hearing about it. I, I told Bruce last night, I said, you know what? After this latest uh, interview with uh, with Seymour Hersh, who's the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist that made this giant revelation and uh, connection and put all the puzzle pieces together in his Substack, we now have to have World War III because of it. But I saw the interview that he gave to a German newspaper last night, the Berliner Zeitung, and I thought, okay, I've had enough. After what he said to the newspaper, I said, that's it. I've seen more than enough for me to unload with both barrels on what's going on with this Nord Stream pipeline. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I've informed both of you that if you would just please give me some time to fire off about what I've got, that I can actually prove, I might add, I can actually prove and I'm going to prove and I'm going to show you so to speak, the listener, where you can go and find out this information for yourself, as opposed to some circumstantial concocted bull that some Pulitzer Prize winning journalist put together that as nearest I can tell is close enough to be on his way out the door after he gets discredited to go spend some time with his family. That's about the best I'm going to be able to say about that. Now, if you want to believe that, fine. But I am shocked. I am horrified, to say the least, of what I am hearing out of the so-called alternative media saying that this was done by the United States. I'm going to tell you how, even though it may appear, even if that's the case, how that might not be the case. Because as we all know, over the last three years, especially, remember, what we're seeing is not what we're actually seeing. This entire thing, COVID, the war in Ukraine, that all ties into this. Everything is made to look one way when in reality, behind the scenes, another agenda is being played out and we're all being played for fools. With that being said, before I get into what I've got, let's go around the table here. Marty, what are your thoughts on this Nord Stream pipeline? We'll start there. And then we'll go to Bruce, and he's going to delve into some of the uh, the Seymour Hersh Substack article on what all this is about. And the Russians have said that they are requesting an emergency convening of the UN Security Council within the next 48 hours. And I'm assuming that this is what they're going to present. So what are your thoughts on the Nord Stream pipeline, Marty? Before I get... And you, neither of you know what I'm going to present here. So what are your thoughts? Well, when we... When we first, when it first happened, we talked about it and we tried to surmise who might be guilty of the destruction of it. And something that ties into what you just said about everything we're seeing or everything we're being presented is a misdirection. 
you know, the the current mainstream media are all frustrated magicians. They want you to look over at their right hand while the left hand slips the dove out of their sleeve. This is what's happening. Uh, a great man said that the art of warfare is deception, and and we are at war. So I'm expecting this to be a deception. You know, Occam's razor, what's the most obvious answer in this case? It's who has more to gain from the destruction of Nord Stream. And there's arguments for and against without whatever evidence you're about to present. The arguments for the West having done it is that it cuts off um, Russia's ability to trade its oil and therefore damages its economy. The argument from Russia, as far as I see it, is Putin is fighting a war that isn't popular with the majority of its people. And what he needs to do is get those people hating one individual enemy, that being the West, and not hating the West and Putin and his regime at the same time. So the jury of uh, of Marty is is out at the moment as to which way the truth actually lies. So I'm I'm all ears, mate. Okay. And Bruce, your your thoughts. You and you've talked about uh, you and I have talked about Nord Stream before, going back and forth. And and I like to wait until I get all the facts on the table or all of the opinions and everything out there. And you know, as as somebody with an investigative background, that is that like, that's what I do. That's how I'm able to to put things together is you chase things down after you've got all the possible scenarios out there in front of you and you put everything together and you find out what works and you find out what doesn't. Well, I see a lot of stuff that works and I see a lot of stuff that doesn't. So I've been able to, uh, and I've been working this in my head for like the last three or four days. And after I saw uh, Hirsch yesterday with that that newspaper uh, interview out of Berlin. I said, that's it. That's it. I'm done with this because I know that this, this is a mark of bull when I see it. And I'm going to show you why. Your thoughts, and then we're going to go over the initial triggering of this with the substack from Seymour Hirsch. So the only, I, I guess, as Marty said, it depends on, uh, you, you can look at the pros and cons for the West doing it versus Russia doing it. Um, by blowing the pipeline, it would effectively, it's going to hamper some of the oil going to uh, the, the Europe. But at the same time, it doesn't because it's Nord Stream 2 that was hit, not Nord Stream. Uh, Nord Stream is the main pipeline where all the oil is going through. Nord Stream 2 is effectively not functioning. So uh, in my estimation, it was more of a saber rattling, more of a bluff, more of a kicking the pants to the the west by russia saying uh uh don't mess with us you know don't 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 f around uh because you're gonna find out and i i feel like that's more what it was than um the the west trying to do any damage to russia uh more so because uh like i said they kind of have a stranglehold on europe on the the oil and do you really think america or anyone in the west is going to kill the oil going over oil and gas going to Europe that they use for generating power. I mean, then you potentially have power shortages in the middle of winter. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't sound good. It wasn't during the middle of winter when this happened, but winter coming up. Yeah. Um, well, they used it as a talking point, as a political wedge to drive and say, well, now, the, the, you know, the Germans are going to freeze. And that right there is what triggered me yesterday was that right there, because we've been hearing nothing but that coming out of the Russians since the start of this thing. Oh, well, we can't supply the Germans now. Now they're going to freeze. Uh-huh. Well, it just so happens I have a unique perspective on the matter because I just happen to live here at the moment. And I can tell you that people are not freezing. People are not starving. There is not a gas shortage in this country. Gas reserves, natural gas reserves in the country of Germany two days before Christmas were at 91 percent. The government declared a state of emergency the day that Nord Stream was blown up. Where's the emergency? We're still waiting on that. It's not there. Now, the prices have gone up, which it just so happens that they'll happily take that money off of the increased gas prices, which we're all paying, I might add, not just the Germans, but the Europeans as a whole and, and the Americans and the Canadians and the Aussies. We're all paying higher prices for fuel because guess what? OPEC, the Saudis, the Russians, they all said, you know what? We're going to cut production by, I don't know, 700,000 barrels a day. 
it was enough to cause the price of oil to jump on the market on the and on the futures exchange, the oil futures to go up overnight two nights ago. So with that being said, let's start with the Seymour Hersh substack that started this whole debacle, right? Let's let's go there. And by the way, there, there's rumors that somehow the British is involved in this. I, I don't understand. And they're basing that on the fact that Liz Truss's phone, uh, there was a message sent to her WhatsApp or something, and it was just two words, it's done after that. And that's that's what they're basing it on. Now, to do, to do that, to, to make that accusation, you'd have to admit that you hacked in illegally to a government official's phone. <laughs> so that would be the first thing. How did they know that that happened? The Russians said 24 hours after it happened that they already had irrefutable proof that they were ready to take to the UN Security Council. Even China, their military ally, which they will be included in what I'm going to present tonight, said, you know what? We don't want any part of that. Let's go over the chain of events that the Pulitzer Prize winning Seymour Hersh has laid out, and let's see if any of that can line up. You have a point you'd like to make first? I, I, yeah, it was just, just for the listener's sake, it's Seymour Hersh. Uh, the title of the uh, substack is How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline, just if you want to follow along okay. with us. Very good. Very good. Okay, so let's start with the first chain of events. So, the, the divers go down and place the explosives, right? It, that's that's where it started. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, I, I believe, uh, June, May, June, somewhere in there during the uh, Balt Ops 22. That's when they say uh, the divers went down and because it was a it was a publicized event. So there was, you know, and then the divers went down and planted the remote triggered explosives uh, then. Mm -hmm. And then when did they drop the sonar buoys? Because it blew up in in the middle of uh, in the middle of summer, so uh, a plane flew over and dropped a sonar buoy. I believe that supposedly the wake of that triggered uh, the explosion. That's what they're basing all of this on. Yeah, I'm I'm looking to see when because he goes in a lot of stuff about Ukraine before. Yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to Ukraine. remotely triggered explosives. Three months later, destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operation. Uh, okay, so. Um, he's claiming it was C4, uh -huh. um, which we have no proof of. Yeah. Cause, uh, to, to prove that it was C4, you would have to go to the bottom of the ocean where this, the pipeline was, and then, um, try to find debris. And, and then, not only that, uh, we, we don't have proof. We don't have proof that the explosives were planted in the first place. Again, we're just surmising yeah, we that, that was that that yeah. was done. Uh, and I believe this is 260 feet below the surface in the Baltic Sea. Uh-huh. Uh, where this happened. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see. He doesn't say anything about like the buoys just yet until that's something else he doesn't point out in this article that I'm seeing right off the bat. He also doesn't point out whether it was Nord Stream 1 or 2. And the one that was blown up was 2. It was not 1. Okay, well, anyway, um, to this point, so th this is all of this is quite, quite frankly, all of this is irrelevant to what I'm going to present. He's he's presenting that these were blown up by the Americans, right? That's what he's presenting. That's the, that's the title of the article, isn't it? It is. It says how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline. And if you go to what he said to the German newspaper, uh, the Berliner Zeitung, he said Joe Biden blew up the Nord Stream pipeline and decided to let the Germans freeze this winter. That right there, the headline of that article is what triggered me last night. Because, I, and I'd seen enough at that point. Who's been saying nearly the same thing since the start? That we haven't been purviewed to because it's been cut off. Russian state media. They've been saying nearly the same thing. Now, is it entirely possible that you've got an, uh, well, let's just say, um, person that's up there in age who's spent a lot of time in the media. And of course, there's no way that our media has been infiltrated by foreign actors. There's no way that our, our government officials have been infiltrated by foreign actors. And there's no way that they would carry their talking points for uh, for foreign media, would they? No, I can't imagine that they would. Would you? So well, when I hear word for word, <laughs> the exact same talking point, that is a red flag for me. Now, in order to understand where I'm going with this, you've got to go back in time. Who is our current president of the United States? Marty? Um, Creepy Joe Creepy Biden. Joe. Creepy Joe Biden. In order to understand where I'm coming from when it comes to Joe Biden, let's go back in time. Let's go back to the year 1979. Actually, I'll tell you what, let's, let's proceed that. Let's go back to the early 1970s, shall we? 
Let's go back to a gentleman by the name of Armin Hammer. Does anybody know who Armin Hammer is? Bruce, you've heard of Armin Hammer before, haven't you? Yeah? Well, I, I heard of the brand, but I didn't hear of Armin no, Hammer not until the, talking with you about yeah, well, yeah, not the, the, the individual. Not the baking yeah. soda. No, not the baking soda. <laughs> no relation to the baking soda. So they Armin Hammer. Toothpaste as well. Yeah, not, not the toothpaste. I hate to disappoint you. Okay. He was an American business manager and owner, and he was closely associated with a company called Occidental Petroleum. Oh, boy. Who made their fortune in Occidental Petroleum? Well, it was Al Gore, wasn't it? Mm-hmm along with his father, who ran the coal side of that business. Yes, it was. A company that was owned and run by Armand Hammer, or uh, managed by Armand Hammer in 1957, until his death. He was called, and I'm not joking, Lenin's chosen capitalist. Huh. Well, Armand Hammer, he was born in New York City. His parents, who emigrated from the Russian Empire, uh, he became, or excuse me, his father came to the United States from Odessa, which is now in Ukraine. Uh, in 1857, settled in the Bronx, uh, and he ran a general medical practice and five drugstores. Now, after the Russian Revolution, uh, part of the Socialist Labor Party of America, under the leadership, split off, become a founding element of the Communist Party USA, which supported Vladimir Lenin and Bolshevism. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? This guy. So Mr. Hammer decided that he was going to bankroll senators, and that's what he did during his time at Occidental Petroleum. One of which was a gentleman by the name of Al Gore Sr. Not any association to Al Gore Jr. other than the fact that, well, he just happens to be his father and his, his father and son. So Armand Hammer decided to finance two campaigns in the state of Tennessee for a Senate seat in 19 uh, in the early 1970s. It just so happened to be Al Gore Sr. against Joseph Robinette Biden. And who do you think won that seat? Joseph Robinette Biden won that Senate seat, and therefore Al Gore Sr. was unable to continue to be the door opener in Washington for Mr. Hammer. So he offered him a nice cushy job running the coal wing of Occidental Petroleum. Until, of course, his son would later come along, he would finance his Senate seat, and then later make sure that he was vice president of the United States. Yeah. Hammer, let's go back to Armin Hammer. Armin Hammer, one of the most famous Soviet operatives of all time. And his father just so happened to be a founding member of the Communist Party USA. Hammer made millions of dollars trading with the newly founded Soviet Union. Uh-huh. At a time when international sanctions... Pretty much strangled the uh, the Soviet Union. You remember, then they had to implement the uh, the new economic policy, right? So we had to we had to go there. We had to go back to capitalism because Soviet socialism didn't work. Uh, Hammer met regularly with Lenin when he lived in the Soviet Union from 1919 to 1928. Never would have guessed that. And you think, well, what does this all have to do with Nord Stream? Well, let me see. He was financing a young senator at the time named Joe Biden, who just so happens to be president of the United States right now. Now, you also have to understand the ideology of revolutionary Marxists. What is the one thing that the ironclad revolutionaries demand out of the people that do their bidding? They always want people to do their work for them. They don't want to do it themselves. They got to get other people to do it for them. And it just so happens that, well, they had Armin Hammer, who took KGB money. He met with Lenin on a regular basis, and he financed a guy named Joe Biden, who in 1979 led a delegation to the Soviet Union. It was a meeting where they, they met with like the Central Committee of their International Department or something like that. I don't know. But he was a young senator at the time. And it just so happens that during that meeting, and we didn't know this later until the mid-90s when the Soviet Union, quote, collapsed, which I don't believe that it did. We didn't figure this out until then. But in 1979, Joe Biden led a delegation of U.S. senators to the Soviet Union. Joe Biden was recorded as saying the following, off the record, uh, quotes Biden as telling the Soviets off the record, he did not really care about the persecution of Russian dissidents. He and other senators might raise human rights issues with their Soviet counterparts, but only to be seen by the U.S. public as defenders of human rights and not to have these problems really solved. They would happily take no for an answer. Well, what does that mean? Let's get rid of the political bull and let's put that into layman's terms. In other words, we're with you. We understand what you're doing here. So for the sake of public consumption, we have to make it look like we're not on board with you. Does any of this sound familiar to what we're dealing with now? I'm just asking a question, just an open-ended question. That's all. Now, again, we didn't know this until 1992. Hmm. Well, what happened during 1992, during the dissolution of the Soviet Union? Who was president of the United States 
during the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Anybody? Marty, do you know who was president of the United States in 1992? 1992. Yeah. Was it? Bill Clinton. Clinton, of course it was. Yeah. Of course he was. Bill, uh-huh. I'll give you expensive laundry bills yeah. on your dresses. Uh-huh. Uh, Clinton, yes, of course. That's the one, yeah. So we've got Joe Biden, who, by the way, was, uh, just to recap, was financed by KGB money, who was taking delegations to the Soviet Union in the late 70s and is on record in the Soviet documents meeting with Communist Party apparatchiks saying, look, we're with you. We agree with what you're doing here, but we can't be seen saying that publicly because, well, you know, it just looks bad with American politics. We just can't do that. For anybody that wants to go and look that up, you can go to the Bukowski archives. You can go there. They have a full publication of that entire meeting. You can read it for yourself. What else happened during that time? Anybody? There was a radical organization in the United States that jumped up about the time of the sexual revolutions after Kennedy got shot, the hippies. It's called the Weather Underground. Just so happened that people like Bill and Hillary Clinton happened to be in agreements with these types of people. It was run by a guy named Bill Ayers. I'll get to Bill Ayers here in just a minute. Back when the FBI was still a halfway credible organization, they had infiltrators into the Weather Underground chief among which was a guy named Larry Grathwall. Larry Grathwall was somebody that would, uh, he was very high, infiltrated, got very high up into the organization, and they were entrusting him to deliver messages to the covert ops, you know, the covert people that they had carrying out these uh, these bombings and these killings of police officers. This is an interview that he gave uh, after he was debriefed on the actions of what they had planned for America with the Soviet Union. Listen very carefully. I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we we become responsible then for administrating, you know, 250 million people. And there was no answers. No one had given any thought to economics. How are you going to clothe and feed these people? The only thing that I could get was that they expected that the Cubans and the North Vietnamese and the Chinese and the Russians would all want to occupy different portions of the United States. They also believed that their immediate responsibility would be to protect against what they called the counter-revolution. And uh, they felt that this counter-revolution could best be guarded against by creating and establishing re-education centers in the Southwest. Uh, where we would take all the people who needed to be re-educated into the new way of thinking and teach them how things were going to be. I ask, well, what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are die-hard capitalists? And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. And when I say eliminate, I mean kill 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people. And they were dead serious. Well, once you get past, uh, and obviously our listeners are going to have to look at that video, once you get past the fact that he looks like the guy from Parks and Recreation, you have to really take seriously what the man is saying. I don't think that was a made-up experience. I think that was probably him relating what happened doesn't necessarily mean that those 25 people talking in that room had any real chance of ever making it happen. No. But that was certainly what was on their mind at the time. Yep. And then, of course, again, the group he was speaking of was uh, the Weather Underground. And who were the Weather Underground? Uh, Again, Bill Ayers. Yeah, that was... uh... (laughs) Was Obama's mentor? We'll get to Obama here shortly. Uh, Ayers, known for uh, bombing the uh, the United States Capitol and the Pentagon uh, during his tenure at the uh, the Weather Underground, he caused fear and terror uh, to turn into a political party. Basically, is what he did. And 
Uh, who was the uh, the Weather Underground based on? Well, let me see. 1969, it was founded, and uh, he was the co-founder. Of course, his wife, Bernadine Dorn, she was also thrown in prison. They founded the Weather Underground, a revolutionary group modeled on the Red Guards from China. You know, the yeah, Red Guards at Mao's Red Brigade, yeah, during the Great Leap Forward. Uh, at the same time, they sought to overthrow uh, American imperialism. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds awful familiar, like what we're dealing with now. They conducted a campaign of bombing public buildings, including police stations, the United States Capitol and the Pentagon during the 1960s and the 1970s in response to the U.S. involvement in the war in Vietnam. And then during the 2008 presidential campaign, a controversy arose about heirs' contacts. And then candidate Barack Obama, and they said, oh, yeah, we've known each other for years. As a matter of fact, Obama started his political campaign in Bill Ayers' living room. I mean, that's a, that's a well-known fact. So again, you know, the, these things, and I have to reference that point because you have to know who these people are. And again, I just like to make this connection. This this connection's for you, Marty. During that time, six members of the Weather Underground group were arrested in 1988 and charged with bombing the Capitol building, uh, one of which was a uh, woman by the name of Susan Rosenberg. She was arrested and charged with having hundreds of pounds of explosives in her car. Uh, she recently served on the board of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Isn't that, that great? Yeah. And she was pardoned along with Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn by President Bill Clinton. Huh? Yeah, yeah, part let out of prison by by Bill Clinton. Yeah, wasn't that great? They'd all still be rotting there. Of course, uh, one person that didn't get out was a man by the name of David Gilbert. Him and his, wasn't quite his wife, but it was his girlfriend at the time, uh, Kathy Bowden. They had a son, and his name was Chessa Bowden. And he just so happened to be bankrolled by George Soros to become the district attorney of San Francisco, California. So there you go. Right. So, I mean, you, you've got to you got to just appreciate these connections here. You got I mean, you talk about the deep state. We haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. <laughs> it's um, just just let me say this, because it, it, yeah, it occurred ahead. to me while you were speaking earlier on. Every time there's a revolution somewhere, you've got a flood of people leaving that country. And and they're they're given refugee status. They've got special status under United Nations law and what each country has to do and how they have to treat refugees. But if you are part of a a global Marxist movement and you've got all these countries such as Russia expanding out into the former Soviet Union, you've got China, you've got North Korea, you've got all of those Southeast Asian countries that were on the verge of communism, but Uncle Stam stepped in to stop the domino effect you've got hundreds of thousands if not millions of refugees that have to be accepted into western countries and amongst those there are going to be those sleepers that we were talking about in prep there are going to be those uh, agents who have got a predetermined mission. Now, whether that mission is to infiltrate your centres of education uh, and then subvert en masse the host country's young people, that's one thing, which is how you've wound up with so many people with these concepts that capitalism is the worst thing in the world and the only way is Marxism, communism. And don't forget what the WEF have said recently in their eight imaginings for the future, which is our present-day refugees will be our CEOs of the future. Mm-hmm. And That's right. and th- this is this is the tool that I think you're trying to talk about and and to indicate here as that there are a chain of events leading up to um, Nord Stream. You know the the latest article. So sorry, yeah. I just wanted to no, to, you're good to say you're that because it occurred to me as you were both speaking earlier. Mm-hmm. No, no, your point is well taken, sir. On to Bill Clinton. We have the installation of Joe Biden. We have him on board with the Russians in '79. In 79, at that meeting where he was talking off the record to Communist Party apparatchiks. So we have that, right? That came out of the office of the uh, of the communist, uh, the president of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union at the time. We wouldn't learn about that document until the 90s. That happened in 79. Joe Biden was already a sleeper cell. He was already taking KGB money. He was already doing their bidding back then. Fast forward to the Clintons. I talked about the, uh, the Weather Underground. Again, took their inspiration from China. Who is Russia? allied with? Who is their biggest military ally? That would be China. You got it. So let's look at the 90s. Clintons are in office. Not only do you have the pardoning of those weather underground people, you also have 
people brought in that are still there today at the State Department, most notably a woman by the name of Victoria Newland. I'll get to her in a second. So let's look at what the Clinton Foundation did in the 90s. They did a, a shady, lucrative deal to sell the Kremlin 20% of America's uranium. Does anybody remember that? Uranium One? Oh, yeah. And just so happens they had a bag man on the tarmac to be able to make that deal. Who was it? Guy by the name of Robert Mueller. The Mueller report, the Trump collusion, the former director of the FBI, Robert Mueller, that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, the media, they just conveniently ignored all this. <laughs> Who was the lobbying group, uh, a Democratic lobbying firm, which had their ties to the Clintons at that time? Was a group by the name of the Podesta Group, which, by the way, uh, they were taking money through one of the biggest banks in Russia, which also happened to be owned by the Kremlin. So, yeah, um, there was there was that. Um, and they've also been linked to Russian intelligence services. So there's that. As she was Secretary of State, which that, you know, that came just a little bit later. But when she was Secretary of State, she also helped the Clinton Foundation and her and her uh, compatriots there uh, make millions of dollars of the deals that they made between Russia and Silicon Valley at the time. So there was a whole bunch of money that exchanged hands there. But again, you, you don't you don't hear about any of this and you don't hear about how deeply compromised these people are by the Russians. Again, this is all leading to something. So Victoria Nuland, right? She is she's in there now. She's the one that said, you know, Nord Stream's not going to go forward, right? She said that. She did say that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can pull that clip, but I don't think it's relevant just yet. Hillary Clinton, when she was in office, uh, you know, excuse me, when her husband was in office, pardon me, <laughs> when, when her husband was, was running the show. It's an understandable slip. Yeah, it, it really is. Given that the Bill was basically, there's a cartoon with a, with a great big massive body and a small brain in a jar. So Bill's the uh -huh. body and Hillary was the, the brain in the jar. You got it. Right. So that was uh, that was that little uh, that little incident. Well, they were able to accomplish some of their goal uh, as far as uh, getting the uh, their deals with the Russians while they were in office. But of course, because of our term limits, they had to go. Enter Bush 9-11 war on terror. You can argue KGB, radical Islam connections, Afghanistan, all that. You can argue that. Uh, but that's another conversation for another day. That has nothing to do with Nord Stream, at least not right now. But the, you could argue that that served as, as a distraction for us here in the West. And that, again, Russian intelligence services were behind it. So it was able to distract us so they can continue to plan. Moving along to the Obama administration. Everything was fine. Nobody suspected anything except for that little thing in 2008 when Obama and the Bill Ayers connection came out. You know, that was a little bit of a little bit of a problem, but they swept that under the rug and nobody needed to see that. And don't pay any attention to the fact that Obama was was taking those visits to Ukraine in 2004 or anything when he was a junior senator. Don't pay any attention to that. You don't need to notice that. No. If you go to 2012, one thing that happened that should not have happened, and that was Barack Obama caught on a hot mic with then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. Anybody remember that? Oh, no, they swept that under the rug. I just so happen to have the audio. This is my last election. I'll have more flexibility after my election. In English, Medvedev says, I understand. I'll transmit this information to Vladimir, and I stand with you. That wasn't supposed to be caught on a hot mic. They tipped their hand in 2012 again. They shouldn't have. Victoria Nuland comes in. She's on board at the State Department at the time. She's still there, by the way. Again, she was just talking to the Senate a few weeks ago. Who was the vice president under Barack Obama? It was Joe Biden, wasn't it? So they already had their guy in there. Who was the secretary of state under Barack Obama, at least for a time? It was Hillary Clinton. They knew they already had her in pocket. Who was she working with behind the scenes? The Podesta Group. So they had their money all secured and they were busy doing their bidding. Now, if you look at the Ukraine deal in 1991, 1992, again, under the Clintons, the deal was you give up your nuclear arsenal and we will protect you. NATO countries will protect you. That was the deal. Well, they gave up their nukes. About 10 years after that, we started sending delegations over there. Barack Obama being one of those delegations, establishing relations, right? Now, as deeply compromised as these people are, do you think they might be 
playing one agenda while trying to get you to do something different. Well, we're back to that misdirection again, aren't we? We are. And it goes to reason. Let's think about what Vladimir Putin did when he initially went into Ukraine for their uh, special military operation. It's not an invasion. It's a special military operation. All of this, Western media included, is saying that, well, this is all Putin's fault. It's all Putin's fault. Right, right. Putin's a bad guy and everything, right? That's what the media is doing. That's the that's the the thing that they're playing. These media people, these people are morons. They get their talking points from the people in the government, and that's what they think that they're they're going to base everything off of without ever looking into what actually goes on. And if somebody in the media does actually look at something and speaks up about it on live TV, the feed gets cut, and that person magically resigns to pursue other opportunities. When Vladimir Putin made his uh, declaration, neo Nazis have taken over your country. The Maidan Revolution prior to. Who was there? John McCain, Senator Lindsey Graham, and Victoria Nuland, shaking hands. Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, in Ukraine, shaking hands. When you have that many compromised people already on your payroll, creating the pretext for you to go in later, remember... Marxists, revolutionary Marxists, always want other people to do their work for them, right? Your country's been taken over by neo-Nazis, so we're going to have to go in. We're going to have to take care of that for you. All of these people that were there setting up that stage prior to that invasion were creating those brigades, were they not? Under Obama, you had all that stolen money, that entire network that they set up over there with Hillary Clinton and the Podestas along with George Soros, John Kerry, Joe Biden and his son, setting up that entire network, that whole stage as a pretext. That's what they needed him to do. That's what Putin needed them to do. That's what the Russian intelligence services needed them to do so that the finger of blame could be pointed at the West. What does this have to do with Nord Stream? Joe Biden blew up Nord Stream, didn't he? That's what Seymour Hersh is saying, right? Joe Biden blew it up. Well, I gave you the backstory on Joe Biden. He's not against the Russians. He's not against the Soviets more specifically. He agrees with what they were doing. He said it in 79 directly to them. Of course, we didn't know that for almost 20 years. We're helping Ukraine in the West, aren't we? Are we? Is that what we're doing? That's what it's being made to look like. Exactly. But exactly. As we've discussed on a number of occasions, the kind of military aid being given um, is really next to worthless because without proper training, proper command and control, those weapon systems are just so much metal. Yeah. And and not only that, you don't have the means. You can't just throw tanks and, and fighter jets into these into a country that doesn't have them and say, here you go. You've got logistical processes that have to go with all that. You've got training, you've got manufacturing, and, and there's an entire circle that you have to set up in order to, to do this. It's an entire chain that you have to create, and it's just not there. So it all becomes too little too late, doesn't it? So if you go to the Nord Stream debacle, when that first happened, I said, who benefits from this? Well, certainly not the United States. They don't benefit from that. Certainly not the Europeans. They don't benefit from that. Who benefits from that? Russia. They benefit from that pipeline being blown up, don't they? And you ask, well, how is that? They're losing money. Stop thinking like a Western capitalist. That's not who they are. They care about power, control, and domination. We've played Besmanov time and again. They don't care about your money. They don't care about your business. They will line you up against a wall and they will shoot you. Even if, even if, and this is a big if, even if Joe Biden ordered, I don't know, some some apparatus and they planned out this entire thing, even if Joe Biden blew up Nord Stream, who's he allied with? Who's he working for? I said at the start, when that pipeline first went up, I said, they're going to try and point the finger at somebody else. But I had my suspicions right off the bat that it was Russia that did it. We were first led to believe that it was eco-terrorists that did it. But we know they're funded by the same foundations that are involved from from the Soviet side as well. So we were led to believe that at first by the media, it was uh, an eco-terrorist attack. And again, they would have had to have had specialist military, at least advice, if not aid to to blow that pipeline up. It's not easy. At 260 feet below the surface of a very cold, dark sea, um, to find the pipeline, to plant the explosives in an effective manner, and to not be there when they blow up. So 
yeah, we 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 spoke earlier as well about who does it benefit to to have the pipeline blown up. It benefits certainly Putin in this respect, in the respect that it focuses the people of Russia's hatred back towards the West. And it drives uh, a wedge and, in between uh, yeah. Europe and, and the UK and the US, which is yeah. what they want. Well, they do want that. And they, they do, as you just said, all they're interested in is, is that power, control, influence. It reminds me today, just this evening, as I watched the news before I came out here, there was a broadcast by the um, the Labour Party of the UK with Keir Starmer and his shadow chancellor. And they were talking about what Labour's plan is for the UK in the future, how to revitalise our industry. But the only industry, specific industry that they mentioned was green energy initiatives. And the other thing that she glossed over, the, the shallow chancellor, was cultural industries. What the flying f***, excuse me, is a cultural industry. I have no clue what that is. This is the Labour Party, which are socialists, not full, not fully, you know, fully fledged communists, but socialists. And they should be looking at revitalizing our manufacturing, our commodities, our real industry. What they're actually saying is um, we'll pour loads of money into wind farms and solar farms, which only return about 14% of what they're actually required to do because we won't need any extra energy because we won't have any manufacturing, any large-scale industry in this country. And this is our Labour Party, the party that are supposed to support the working-class people. So again, we know that Keir Starmer, for instance, would rather keep Davos than keep the Houses of Parliament or Westminster so he's as corrupt and as as compromised as all those other people that you were mentioning. But again, the plan, the sustainable development goals from the UN, and the only reason I'm mentioning this this is because you're setting a lot of dots out that need to be joined up, and you're and you're joining those dots up as we go. But these dots have just become apparent to me this evening with this Labour Party party political broadcast. Is that that sustainable development goal of moving all major industry elsewhere in the world out of the West and into Asia, Africa and South America means that they won't need energy in Europe as such. All they'll need is for normal household supplies, you know, cooking and heating your homes. And they won't need so much of that either because they are getting rid of quite a few as a few of us already with excess deaths up 26%. All these things do link in. The dots are there to be joined. And as I said, I think it might have been two weeks ago now, our hardest thing is when we're trying to convince someone of what's happening is that we have to link all these things together. And it starts to sound crazy in our own head. So I apologize for the interruption. No, no, I had no, to get fine. that out because no, it, it was boiling up inside me. No, you're you're good. Sorry. This has been boiling up inside. No, don't don't apologize. This has been boiling up in me for for weeks now, and it's just it, it's exploding tonight. And I'm as I as I let off tonight, I I'm just I am I'm horrified by what I hear out of these so-called alternative media sources when I hear them say that Russia's the good guy here somehow. I, I'm I'm horrified that they don't make these connections. I don't understand it. I've said time and again that they're playing a scissor strategy. If you are a, a, a journalist, and I, my God, I'm not a journalist. None of us are journalists here. I, I'm just a I don't know a, a guy with a with an investigative background that has a microphone, and I give a damn. That's it. That's all I am, and I and I know how to read. <laughs> but you see, I mean, even even if even if the alternative media are saying whatever they're saying from a good place, as in they're saying, well, if Joe Biden destroyed the pipeline, he must be the bad guy. Therefore, by default, Putin's the good guy. But we've said That's right the from the start of the, the war That's where they need you. That, there is, that there is no good guy in this particular conflict. And it's as simple as that. That you can get situations where there is no good guy. 
both sides deserve to get royally rogered uh, by someone, and that someone has to be their own people once the people wake up. But they're, we're now sounding like, or I am at least, sounding like a bloody revolutionary. And that's the last thing I want to be. I want a peaceful, quiet, free life. When I say free, I don't mind working and paying for my life, but I want to be free. Just like your T-shirt says, Bruce, legalized, legalized freedom. freedom. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I sincerely hope that this, and by the way, this is all open source information. Anybody can go and look this stuff up for yourselves uh, and do the digging on uh, on things. I mean, you can look up Arm & Hammer. You, you can look up Victoria Newland. You can look up Bill Ayers and the Weather Underground. You can look up the... Um, uh, the Bukowski archives that I was telling you about with uh, with the meeting uh, that Joe Biden took with the Soviet delegation in the Soviet Union at the time. You can look up uh, the connections with Obama and the Clintons and the Podestas and Robert Mueller and, and the deals with the Soviet Union and, and the, you know, the Russian Federation, what would later become the Russian Federation. You can look all this stuff up. You can verify everything that I'm saying. And you're seriously going to sit there and I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to, you know, any of these people in, in the alt media. You're going to sit there and you're going to convince me that the Russians aren't responsible for this. And I'm not talking about the Russian people. I'm talking about the Russian government. You're going to tell me that they're not responsible and they're pointing the finger of blame back on everybody else. Just like COVID, just like that strategy, the governments, oh, we're fighting this to help you. No, you're not. You're stomping on everybody. Oh, we're we're fighting the, uh, the the Russians in Ukraine. No, you're not. You're paid by the Russians. You're compromised by the Russians. It's crystal clear. It's right there in front of everybody. I would throw in, um, well, tinfoil hat time. Uh, what you laid out there, um, I don't necessarily think Biden, as an example, or really any of the administration currently, is necessarily bought out by Russia or China specifically. And by that, I mean, I don't think they're um, like card carrying no. communists. No, 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 or, no, no. You know, but, any of those things. They're opportunists. Yeah, and, uh, the, I'm bringing that up for uh, to, to make a point. They're opportunists. They're just in it for the money. They just they just want to make themselves better off. It's possible because this this also fits into another narrative that we've been hearing as of late. And it's about our favorite um, wannabe Bond villain, Klaus Schwab. It's also possible that that type uh, could have triggered this to say, see, look, you, you don't want to use oil and gas because this could happen. You could you could have your pipelines blown up and there could be a disruption. So we should go with wind and solar where you're not going to have some, you know, pipeline get blown up. And I don't know, they, they could use some kind of BS like that and, and try to make another narrative as to why it's so dangerous to use these kind of things. And it, it triggers more uh, discord between uh, Russia, China, America, or the West in general. It causes more upheaval. The more upheaval, again, Schwab and them are kind of your pseudo-communist, pseudo-fascist. Um, it's kind of a new technocracy kind of a thing. They're still using tactics that communists have used in, in the past, fascists have used. And one of the things that, in this case, you, you create chaos. And out of the chaos, out of the fires of that chaos, you forge the new world. That that's kind of uh, so tinfoil hat. Uh, it could have no, been no, I, uh, Klaus I, Schwab type as well. I no, I agree with you. And the opportunist thing on that point, I I I concur with you 100 percent on that. Case in point, the Biden laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop. You talk about Russia and China financial connections to enrich themselves and sell their country out. That right there. These people that we're talking about, sometimes if we lump them all together and assume they are all working to the same agenda, I think we're misleading ourselves. What I think is happening is that there are several agendas going, and wherever possible, using the back channels that were open to prevent World War Three. There always had to be a way of countries, even at the point of war, of talking to each other so that they can step back from the brink. And these back channels... The word popped up earlier, just a few moments ago, opportunists. They are opportunists, uh, and they've recognised that they can use these back channels to further their own agendas. And that's what's really happening. These, these links between Soviet government, Lenin, all the way back to the 50s, you know, the people in the West, in America, people of influence, those back channels were opened up, they were seen, and they, they stopped being back channels, and they're more or less six-lane highways, but they're still secret from the public eye. 
and therefore they're not reported in 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 mainstream me- media uh, unless a mistake is made. So I'm I'm kind of inclined to believe that I'm starting to be more convinced that yes, it would have been an act by Russia because they seem to have benefited most from it in the the world of public opinion. Because if you can get everybody convinced that America blew up a pipeline that was supplying oil for heating and and electricity to mainland Europe, then it creates a really bad image from what should be the good guy. But as I said, as we have said before, there's no good guy in this war, only victims. And at the moment, the people listening to this podcast, we're all victims. We're victims of, of, of this conflict. I did have another fantastic salient point to make a moment ago, but again, my age has let it slip out of my head. I'm sure it will come back to me in a moment. Bottom line, at least for me, is do your own research, come to your own conclusion, make the decision that you think is right for you. I'm not trying to convince people of anything. I'm not trying to say that uh, my way is the only way. I've never thought that, and I will not start that now. All I'm saying is, is that I look at things and I see what fits and what doesn't. And what doesn't fit is media people telling you that Russia's a good guy here, when clearly, giving historical context, they most certainly are not. And they stand to benefit more than anybody else. And again, it's about redirecting that form of being discredited back onto itself. When we played the clips here of of KGB defector Yuri Bezmenov, active measures is what they call it, or is what they did call it, and they still engage in it. And the Russians are masters at that. They are amazing. Their intelligence services are, are second to none at being able to pull that stuff off across the world throughout history. And there's no reason to think that they wouldn't be doing it now. And so to say you know, that all of these people are, are not in some way or another, and it doesn't have to be card carrying, as you said, Bruce, but at the least, at the least doing their bidding in ways that, that they need done. For example, the Ukraine thing, setting up the pretext for more than a decade to be able to lay the foundation for them to say, oh, your country's been taken over. We're going to have to go in there and fix that and point the finger back at the West, when in reality, they were the ones that were responsible for creating that narrative to begin with. Same thing with Nord Stream. The point I was going to make earlier, because it's come back to me, thankfully, is that when you grow up being part of a family that does not need to worry about money, you don't have to use your drives, your, your, your ability to work, your work ethic to make money. But if you are a driven individual... I think this is where that whole sociopath, pissed on power, narcissistic element comes in. Those drives are directed at control, power, influence. The Arabs, as I've mentioned before, have got a word for it. It's wasta. It's a mixture of wealth and influence uh, and status. And, And that's what people like Gates, people like Gore, where they were already in a fantastically rich family, have have had the opportunity to, you know, try and enforce their will and their ideals, same same with Schwab, on the globe, on the planet. And, and that's what we're seeing. So it's not necessarily one agenda. It's agendas of all these people. And every time they've got an area where they can work together, that's where we're seeing the most damage being done. Because when they do start working together, we see our lives change. We see things, our freedoms being removed. We see, you know, our ability to uh, buy things being removed. And and it is happening. And they are using, I don't think anyone with half a brain could deny that they are using Marxist methods to control populations. And by that, I don't mean necessarily control the numbers. I mean, to keep us in check and keep us obedient. And I agree with you as well that this is that uh, when you say that there are multiple agendas that are being used here, and I, I agree, I believe that uh, Schwab and his kind have an agenda. I believe Kissinger, of course, that's you know part of the Schwab camp. Uh, they they all have their own agendas, and you know that was another connection that I didn't make before was uh, you know that I didn't throw in there that I overlooked actually was Henry Kissinger, who was recruited by the KGB at the end of the Second World War and takes weekly lunch at the Kremlin for God's sake, who was. Klaus Schwab's mentor, and Klaus Schwab, as we know, has a bust of linen on the shelf in his office behind him. Look, there, there's so many, there's so many different ways that we can go with that. But yeah, I agree with you that there are multiple agendas uh, in play here. But to the point where you 
have said before that you're not sure if Putin has gone rogue or not. Has this changed your aspect of thinking in that way? What I'm thinking is that maybe somewhere along the line, this this working together that I just suggested that may be happening from different factions within the New World Order, uh, and maybe they've crapped on Putin at some point or another, and he's decided to play it his own way for a while until someone comes in through one of those back channels and comes up with another offer or better offer, which will always be to improve Putin's life. And if that, if by default that improves the, the, the status of the Russian people as well, he'll probably take it because at the moment he's, he's fighting a losing battle in terms of popularity, at least. Another thing to kind of throw into the mix as well, Putin was also wronged in the peace treaty that was supposed to, or at least ceasefire between um, Russia and Ukraine. It was supposed to have been brokered and um, Zelensky agreed to it. One of the agreements was Russia would not directly target Zelensky, uh, that he, you know, that he would be allowed, even if Russia wins, he would be allowed to uh, remain free. Uh, and they would not kill him, which is also why you saw, started seeing Zelensky start, you know, using uh, social media and whatnot and posting his actual location is because he had that guarantee. But the West and Zelensky both have admitted they never intended to keep that treaty. Uh, they never intended to, to well, uh, uh, you know, stick with the agreement. And as my understanding was, is it was more or less just a ceasefire. Uh, to, uh, you know, negotiate uh, peace in uh, some means. And the West had no intention to keep it. Now, I'm not saying that's that's another reason as to why the West did this. I'm saying this could be another reason why Russia decided, you know what, F you, we're going to blow this pipe and, and sh- you know, show our strength a little bit more. You're going to screw with us. We're going to screw with you. I don't think either side, rather that's, you know, one nation or here that we're talking about here. I, I don't think either side has the um, the want, if you will, to want to end this. The Russians don't want to end it and the West doesn't want to end it. And again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. This goes back to I don't think they want to end it because they need both sides need the conflict. You see? But both sides need it. The Russians need it more than the West do. The West needs it for purposes of they need to like this is how they make change uh, in the world. They they create that chaos. So they need this extra chaos. The Russians need it because Putin was losing popularity at home. So they need something else. Uh, and they need to get that territory back that they lost. And even Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, when he was asked, you know what? We're going to put the Soviet Union back together. We're going to take all of it. We were just going to take part of it. Now we're going to take all of it. So neither side has a um, uh, has a, a gumption to want to end this, I don't think. I, I, in the beginning, my uh, when they were first uh, negotiating this peace treaty, the implication was basically the eastern part of Ukraine was basically going to become, become part of Russia. And that would that would be the peace. They they would give over part of Ukraine, and you know the the more Russian speaking side of Ukraine, and it it would be over. That would be the end of it. Russia would have their their port, and you know the the territory around there. Uh, it would it would cease the um, aggression. That was kind of the intention in the beginning. Now this would have been a boon for Putin if that would have worked. Um, it would have garnered a little bit of favor amongst the people, you know, a good a diplomat and, you know, showed that he's not just a, you know, heavy handed individual. But at the same time, it showed strength as well in that, you know, unwilling to back down and everything. Now, because the West has gotten involved, it's making Putin look bad because now, you know, they're conscripting people uh, and the same thing with Ukraine. But Ukraine is... It's it's bad there too how they're conscripting people. So it's the same way. Neither side is good. Uh, yeah, neither neither side's good way. in this. And yeah, but well, either what way. it has done is when when you keep conflict going, you keep refugees happening. And the UK accepted thousands of Ukrainians. Poland has accepted thousands of Ukrainians. Germany, likewise. All the way along those borders, with with the probable exception of Belarus, because the the Ukrainians wouldn't want to go there. So once again, how many of those refugees are subverted sleepers? There's going to be some. Second World War, 
every single person of Japanese descent was interned in the United States. Here in the UK, everyone of German descent was interned and they weren't released until it was absolutely certain that they could do no further harm. Uh, And here in the UK, we've got thousands of migrants, illegal migrants, flooding ashore across the channel every year, which were all displaced by other conflicts, apparently. And they're already causing problems. Sweden overrun with the the same kind of issues. All of these conflicts are, are creating these refugees. And I have a great deal of sympathy for someone who's had to leave their country because they've lost everything and are under threat from their country's own government. Well, quite frankly, right now, I feel under threat from my own government. But where the f*** can I go? You know, there, there's nowhere to go for us because we we haven't got refugee status under the UN under the UN rulings and, and their, their, their laws. Well, so, we're just going to have to go to Antarctica, my friend. Yeah. Apparently, there's a big hole that goes down into the center of the earth. Yeah. All the yeah. You've heard about went. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've heard about that. Fellas, that's all I had for today. And uh, we are at time here. So uh, we're going to have to go. But um, thanks for putting up with my rant today. I appreciate that. But I'd had enough. No, it was, it was extremely interesting. It had to be done. We said right at the start of these podcasts that they're kind of cathartic for each of us. And we do need to get stuff off of our chests on a regular basis because otherwise we just go mad. So it's still working for me. And uh, thanks for putting the effort in there, mate. That's what we do. All right, uh, we're going to go ahead and call this one done. We'll see you next week, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'll be here next week. Fantastic. I want to thank both of you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.